what's happening in modern baseball? Like, are the pitchers getting better? The batters getting better? Is the strategy of the game getting better? Like, what what's changing? How's that game evolving? Well, I'll tell you one thing that's made a profound impact on hitting is the shift. The defenses are allowed to load up on one side for a left-hander, load up on the other side for a right-hander. And it's very difficult when a pitcher throws you inside pitches all day. It's very difficult to turn that around and hit it the other way. So you're hitting it right to where the defense is playing. And they didn't used to do that in the 80s and 90s. They didn't do that stylistically or they couldn't do it by the rules? No, stylistically, they just didn't. They didn't have that strategy. And now with the metrics and you know, with, um, you know, I think the Oakland A's are the ones that started that, right? The Billy Bean days. Is that the whole Moneyball yep, movie with exactly. uh, Brad Pitt? Yep. Yeah. And part of that is trying to figure out how to play defenses against certain types of hitters and how to pitch them. And there's all the, I mean, think about the video footage that you're able to study now that they didn't really have back in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, high def, right? Seeing every evolution of the ball now with high def TV is is pretty crazy. Right. And you got new statistics like spin rate. Like you can literally tell how hard the pitcher's spin rate is, how how hard his, his off-speed stuff's going to break. I mean, it's very, very, like they're meticulous to detail and they just didn't have the technology to do that before. I remember liking the movie Moneyball, but I can only remember one great line in there where they're all sitting around the table and it's like the new school data crunchers versus the old school, like kind of, you know, people that recruited talent and the one pitching coach, he just has this amazing line. It's probably a throwaway line in the movie, but I think it's so funny. And they're, they're talking about bringing in this like relief pitcher or something. He's like, no, 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 you know, we can't bring in Billy that that guy dates fat chicks. And they're like, what? And they're like, yeah, anybody who dates fat chicks has no confidence. He can't be our closer, our reliever. And I just remember being like, oh, my God, this is funny that this is like a multi-million dollar operation. And this is probably how all these old school pitching coaches thought. Like, no, no, no. If he dates fat chicks, he's got no personality. He's got no confidence. We cannot have him be our closer. And I'm like, wow. that that To me, that really solidified the crux of the movie. Of like, we're moving from this, like, opinion to data, right. which I'm sure baseball now is just all data. I mean, it was always a data sport, but now it's going to be like all data well i don't know that it's all data but it's definitely moving that direction where they're getting away from any of the opinion based decisions um have you ever seen or heard of the movie trouble with the curve no clint eastwood movie phenomenal movie oh all right i'm putting i'm I'm a movie junkie and uh it's basically about an old school scout kind of losing his vision a little bit and it's a very touching movie but it also has some very like interesting baseball information in it too and it's about a guy who literally is potentially going to be one of the greatest hitters of our generation. He's still at the high school level. Everybody loves this kid, but this scout goes, no, he can't hit a curveball. He sees it in his swing. There's a hitch in his swing and no one else sees it. And you have to see the movie to see how it turns out. But is, is this the one where Clint Eastwood's like reconnecting with his daughter? That's yeah. kind of the subtext of the movie. Exactly I think I, it is. I think I did see this, but I think yep. I saw it on like a, uh, on a first date where I was trying to get laid. So <laughs> I probably was not focusing on the movie and I was focusing you on the girl. Thinking about baseball at all. I was not thinking about baseball. Right. I was thinking about trying to get this girl's clothes off or something. I was thinking whether she was wearing polka dots or not. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Like that, like that scene in uh, old school where he's like, I don't know, you know, I'm just a cheesecake factor. And I'm thinking maybe the waitress is wearing some type of new underwear and like, what? I thought we were in the tree of trust here. Like, um, man, I hope to, I hope to God that movie came out a long time ago or else my wife's going to be real mad. (laughs) Just kidding. You know, you, you, you hit on something interesting there. We just had a a, a guest on uh, G Russell Reynolds, a buddy of mine, and he was talking a lot about like how toxic masculinity is a myth and basically we need more strong men and masculinity. And you, and you kind of hit on that, like this idea of becoming a man now that you're, you know, older, wiser, couple of years in recovery, had a bunch of different, you know, uh, a bunch of different careers and whatnot. 
what do you think it means in like modern day America to to be a man or or you know exude masculinity without it going too far? Whatever your take might be, what what do you think it means as as guys grow up to like really become a man? Uh, that's a great question. For for me, being a man is taking responsibility for your own shit and being willing to admit when you're wrong. And I mean, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I just didn't know how to do. I mean, I would, I'd have money in the bank and a lot of this I can blame on my alcoholism and maybe that is a legitimate excuse, but you know, there's laziness and there's lethargy and there's dreaming. It's just a bunch of procrastinating and all these defects of character that I didn't know that I had that I learned about when I decided that I was going to commit to a, to, to a program to try to get some help. And the group of guys that have brought me in and, tucked me under their wing and said, we're going to show you how to do it. But they're the ones that have taught me how to be a man. And I watch what they do. And I walk through, they, how, watch how they walk through difficult things. And they do it without having to drink or without having to use any drugs. To me, that's what being a man is all about. You know, when you lose a child, I have friends that have lost children. You watch them walk through that with grace and dignity, still being kind to other people and still being of service and still getting their job you're getting to get their, their job on time and still paying their bills on time. That's, that's being a man to me. Yeah. And doing it with all, without taking advantage of people, doing it honestly with integrity. Incredible. Yeah. And I feel like our current environment, and you can call it a political environment, a social media environment or whatever, it really detracts from that, right? Because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what group you belong to, minority, male, female, middle class, upper class, gay, straight, doesn't matter. You can find somebody out there who's going to tell you on YouTube that everything is this person's fault or this group's fault or this ethnicity's fault or it's the government's fault or it's fucking global warming's fault. Um, it just feels like there's an endless supply of influencers out there that will tell you or me or anybody that looks totally different than us that it's not their fault. It's, 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 you know, it's their fault out there. It's not internal. So the, the idea that, you know, becoming a man or just a responsible c citizen is, you know, taking responsibility for your own shit. I think that's a pretty powerful statement. Um, I and mean, it's something I didn't know how to do when I was younger. Have you, you, have you read Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Yeah, I, I probably need to reread it because I probably read it 10 years ago when I was not being very effective. <laughs> well, here's what's so. sad is that everybody I talk to, they're like, you're just discovering this book now? Well, yeah, I'm just becoming a man now. So, right. And as pathetic as that may sound, it's just kind of the truth. And now almost everybody I know who's successful read this a long time ago, but it talks about the difference between the personality ethic and the character ethic, right? Right now, we live in a society where personality ethic is really... I mean, it's king. You've got an incredible personality, and if you've got some good looks to go along with it, you can make millions of dollars. You can create an Instagram page. You're marketable. People will buy what you say to buy because they like looking at you or hearing you or what you have to say, or you're entertaining, and there's no substance to that whatsoever. And that's becoming the norm now, which is really kind of scary because the things that were important in the 50s and 60s and even you know, partially through the 70s were... How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your kids? What do you teach them? What do you contribute to society? Or are you generous and kind and loving and tolerant? Who gives a shit about that anymore. And it's personality ethic versus character ethic. Character ethic. Yeah. I and mean, what are you doing to build your character? Are you a man of character? Are you a man of integrity? And to me now, you know, money's nice. Don't get me wrong. I plan on stacking it. But that's why I started my business. But at the end of the day, doing it with integrity and doing it honestly is far more important than how much money I make.
and yeah. the way that I treat other people and trying to find ways to be of service to other people. What's What's been interesting about reinventing yourself now at 47 in a new industry? You know, it's really interesting that you ask that because I just watched a TED talk from a guy who's in recovery and it, and it was incredible. I literally saw this last night, coincidentally, and knowing I was going to come and talk to you. And what he said aligns so perfectly with what I've found to be true in my own life. And he said that one of the things that he teaches people, one of the things that he's brought into his professional life as a former addict is that you can run a business, you can be a CEO like an addict. Some of the things that are really important, one of the things that really stuck out to me and what he said and then what we learned is that you have to be able to do the work that's uncomfortable to you. You have to be willing to be your authentic self all the time, no matter whether it's popular or not. And you have to be honest. You have to be brutally honest with people, even when sometimes it hurts. And, um, and I think a lot of people just get really comfortable being uncomfortable. And what I say, when I, and I'm not talking about doing the uncomfortable work. Like, that's the hard part. The easy part is, I hate my job, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Because at least I get that paycheck. What's going to happen if I go do this other thing and I fail? What's going to happen if I go try to get this, this license or this certification or this new education? And I'm not able to get there. Now, all they see is the downside to failure. I mean, you, there are millions of quotes on how failure is literally how you get to success. You have to fail in order to succeed. There's never been anybody that I've ever known or read about that didn't fail on their way to succeeding. Yeah, I, I think the average successful business owner had something like three failed ventures before the successful business. You know, it, it, you can just look down the line at all the epic failures that ended up turning into great success stories either later in life or on the third shot or the fourth, whatever. It is It is pretty fascinating because, yeah, again, going back to the social dilemma and the Instagram influencers, those people, you never see their failures, right? It's all it's all rose-colored rose glasses, and, uh, and that's not real life. It's not real life. Well, that's the personality ethic, right? That's what they want you to see. This, and this is really, I mean, this is kind of the crux of the problem in our society right now is it's all about the image and it's not, there's no substance there. No one's talking about their character. If they did something nice for somebody, yeah, that's not going to make Instagram. No one gives a shit about that, which is really tragic. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're, if you're willing to be uncomfortable, you're willing to put yourself out there. You know, there's a... <clears throat> This is the feminine side of me coming out now. Perfect. There's a, there's a woman whose name is Brene Brown. I don't know if you heard of Brene Brown. And she's no. a phenomenal, she calls herself a storyteller researcher. And she's just absolutely incredible. She's got TED Talks and she's you know, published books. And one of the things she talks about is the, the only way to true human connection is through vulnerability. And a lot of people just aren't willing to be vulnerable. They're not willing to be their authentic self. They're not willing to tell you, hey, look, I was a complete fuck up for 40 years. For 40 years, I lived like a child. Fortunately, that's just my truth. Um, it's not something that I boast about because it's not like there's no braggadocious in that. Right. But that's just my story. Yeah. And I only have one story these days. And I treasure that. And so I listen to people like Brene Brown and I talk about Am I willing to tell you the truth, knowing that you may look at me cross-eyed or you may not want to do business with me or you may not want to be my friend, knowing that if we can overcome those and if you don't look at me crazy and run away, there may be something long-term there. Right. Like we could have a bond that lasts a lifetime. That's something I didn't know how to do before I started on this new path. Yeah, I mean, we're not, for the most part, 
whether it's socially or from, you know, that stoic generation of fathers or stepfathers, we're not really taught that, right? Like for the most part as a, as a, as a man growing up, you're like, you know, don't cry, bury that shit deep down inside of you. You know, don't talk about your emotions. You're not a little girl. And it's like, you know, I, I'm glad that that's changing. The pendulum might've swung a little bit too far the other way where now men aren't being taught how to be men. But um, I think the pendulum being all the way over on the other side where it's like, you know, don't cry, don't be a bitch, you know, stand up, just, you know, brush yourself off. Like we, we don't really learn how to be like, oh yeah, I, I got to, even if it's a little emotional, even if it's going to bring tears to my eyes, I got to be authentically me as a man. You know, that's that's not something that's big in the culture. And like I said, maybe the pendulum swung a little too far the other way, but possibly. But do you like Bill Burr? I love Bill Burr. One of the geniuses of our time, right? Yeah. And just just an all around good dude. And, uh, you know, he's got a he's got a bit that he does where he's talking about his wife and his wife's like, where does that come from? Right. I don't know if you've seen that, right? Where yeah. does all this anger come from? And then he talks about his dog you know, and loves his dog and. He had to give his dog away because his dog was violent and biting people. And, you know, and so the wife goes through the grieving process and she's crying and she's mourning because they got to give the dog away. And, you know, and so the dog, the, someone comes to the door to pick up the dog, take the dog away. And he runs to the other room. He don't want to see it. And then a couple of days later, he's like yelling and screaming at her. She's like, where does this come from? He's like, cause I stuffed it down. Yeah, totally. Just stuff it you deep know, down. Inside. I'm not going to deal with my emotions. I'm going to shove it down. And that's, yeah, you know, not necessarily the healthiest way to do it. No, no, I don't think so. But it's pretty common. Yeah. Pretty common.